0: Today we're continuing in our series. Let's take our job back. And we began the series um, weeks ago. And I don't know if you're just joining us for the first time. You're not. I don't know where you are in the series. You're, but you're here, so this is great. Um, because the reason we don't know that normally we have set deadlines on this and on series, and we say we do it in four weeks or three weeks or six weeks, whatever it might be. This one I don't know. This one we started on on in the beginning of March. And with A Vision Sunday, and we started talking about let's take our job back and the whole idea of, of answering and asking very serious questions that I think all of us have been asking, whether we've been public with those questions or not. We've been, all of us have had questions that we've been asking probably, especially in the last couple of years. Uh, just all the things with COVID just created a whole lot of, um, I don't know, introspection. Anybody else? Right? There's just, you just begin to evaluate and reevaluate everything. Anybody else, like your entire world is like, okay, why do we do this? I mean, come on, like, how many parents have reevaluated how busy you were before COVID with all the sporting events and reevaluated and going, do we want to go back? Anybody else? Or just, just, that's just me. Like, do we want our kids and everything? Like, remember what that was? Do we want to go back to that? But we've been reevaluating everything, including for all all of us as Christians, we've been reevaluating church. And going, "What is it? What's it for? We've been reevaluating if you're like me. And I, I thought I thought maybe it's just me. And then I started talking to others and realizing it's not me, and then we started talking about it in a series and realizing, it's really not me that many of us, but reevaluating what it means to be Christian. And the, for me, I've been, I grew up in the church, and I've grown up being taught, and I can count on one hand how many times as a child, I missed church. We just never missed, and I've heard all the, I've heard preaching from all different angles and all different sides, but I began to reevaluate and saying, is, what we, is how we do church in the Western world and how we believe what Christianity is and what it means to be Christian? Is this accurate? Is it right? Is it true? And I've been doing a whole lot of, of, of deep study in, in the Bible and deep study in, in church history and deep study and all this stuff and going, okay. What of what we believe is what Jesus originally, you know, described and envisioned for the church to be and how much of it is just our tradition. And where do we where do we draw the line between what we have grown up traditionally, whatever your tradition might be? Every denomination, by the way, is we say traditional church. <laughs> like every denomination, regardless of where you came from, has a tradition, right? Has pr- practices, regardless. And so what do we, how do we evaluate what is tradition and what is gospel? We've been asking these questions, in- including asking questions like, well, is what we believe about the end times? Because how many, t- I, I, this is where I, I think it started for me, is, is COVID came along. And once again, yet again, I started hearing all these pastors and preachers saying, it's the end. And I'm thinking, I have lived through so many ends in my short life. Like it is unreal. I've like it's like every. I remember in elementary school, in grade six, in a Christian school, somebody coming in here and saying the banks have got the system and the Antichrist is on the move and it's the end. And your 12 year old going, I want to live. I want to have a life. I was like, what? Like and then and living through that. I, I've lived, I can count, you know, how many dates. This is the last, the, Jesus is coming back on this date, 1988. Remember that? Nine, and then it was 1991. Remember the Gulf, the whole war? This is Armageddon. This is like all, all that kind of stuff. And then it was 1996. Remember that one? And then it was 1999. And then it was 2000. Remember Y2K? That's that was a long time ago. Like, this is the end. And then, and then it was, like, I mean, all these dates and going, well, what happened? And then I'm hearing as soon as COVID happens again, I'm going, Again? And there are literally, you don't have to look very far. There are literally pastors and Christians saying that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. It got really quiet in here. (laughs) Because you know it, don't you? You've heard it. And if you believe it, read your Bible. I'm just going to be, it's okay? I going to be blunt. Let's go. Let's let's talk about this. Read your Bible. The mark of the beast is, an, is, a, is a something that is of worship. It's not a shot in your arm. It, it's, it's not it's an object of worship where you are gonna have to decide to worship someone, the, the, the Antichrist, you're gonna have to decide to worship someone. It's not a vaccine. Look into my eyes. <sighs> I'm half expecting Will Smith to come up here and smack me right now. I just... <laughs> Keep the mark out of your... Anyway. But come on, hey, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's, let's just be real. We as Christians are weird. No amens on that. Come on online. You're going to have to have amen in the chat. Amen. 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 Sometimes we can be weird, and sometimes we get into weird, wacky stuff, and sometimes we follow this stuff we don't know. So I, I'm, I'm asking all these questions. We're diving into this. We're, we're being real. And we're looking at all this stuff, and I'm talking about stuff that you're questioning, that I'm questioning, and saying, let's go back. Let's go back and find out what is real? What What is the original mandate of what God has called us to believe? And let's study some of the, the end times and, and what we're going through in And let's look at, we start in Revelation, and we realize in Revelation that heaven isn't quite described as how I grew up it being described. I thought that it's worshiping forever, floating around in clouds with harps and Philly cream cheese. Like, I don't know. Like, it was was painted as a picture of one thing. And then I read in Revelation, and I see in Revelation that the Bible describes heaven much different than what it was described to me. And what is the difference between what is tradition and someone's preconceived idea that became a tradition and what is original. Because I want to find out, what did Jesus really say? And he describes heaven as a city without a church. A city without a church. And out of that, I began to see like how we see heaven is how we live here on earth. And what if we as the church have misunderstood our purpose here that we're not supposed to be a gathering an escape from the big bad evil world what if our purpose and our job is to one day get to heaven where we have done our job to where we have redeemed cities so that the temple so that God's presence isn't just existing in a temple in a place anymore that it's existing everywhere because the church has been the light has done the job that it's supposed to do So we're we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, and we're studying Nehemiah and and how, how Nehemiah has is an entire book in the Bible about redeeming cities, where a man redeems a city. And this is not just the timeline of Jesus. That this this book here might be a template for us as the church. And I've just been reading it and seeing: is there a template here for how we as a church are to redeem, take our job back, redeem cities. Restore homes. That's that's what. What if that could be our job? What what could we learn from Nehemiah? So we're we're diving into it. Let, Nehemiah one says the words of Nehemiah the son of Hacchiah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the twentieth year while I was in Susa the capital that. Um, Hananiah, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is, is a prisoner of war. He's a cupbearer to the king. That the very he's a cupbearer to the very king that destroyed, probably killed his family, destroyed his home, all the rest of it, and he doesn't know the state of his home. So he's finding out, and he finds out that that Hananiah and some uh, other men came back from Jerusalem. He's like, "What is home like?" So he describes, and he says, they said to me that the remnant there, which that doesn't sound like very many, the remnant, the few that are left, that are alive in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are are burned with fire. So the report back is, is bad. Well, not a surprise, right? A city... In war, is destructive, devastating. So this is not a shock, but Nehemiah's response is when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I'm sure others wept and they're like, yeah, it's sad and I miss my family and I miss my home and they probably wept for maybe hours. But Nehemiah wept for days and this is an indication that, that sometimes if you have an unusual burden for something, that's an indication that God's calling you to do something. So if you have an unusual burden for the state of our nation, maybe God's calling you like he called Nehemiah to take your job back. If you got an unusual burden for our city, maybe there's something there. If you've got an unusual burden for something else, and I'm not talking about just a burden, well, you know, this I'm talking about something where somebody else is going, why are you so obsessed with this? Like why why is this? And you're wondering, why aren't you? There's a sign there that maybe God's calling you to something. So Nehemiah does what any one of us would do when you get this unusual burden. What does he do? He prays. But he doesn't pray like I would have prayed. I would have prayed, you know, God, the city's in ruins. Could you fix it? God, Canada's in ruins. Could you do something about it? Anybody pray a prayer similar? Like me? Or I would have been I would have been, God, our cities in ruins. Could you fix him? Being the very king who destroyed my nation? Could you fix him? No show of hands, but have you prayed for the prime minister in such a way? God fix him like fix auto. Fix him. Nobody else is no okay. Come on, I've seen the bumper stickers, come on. (laughs) But Nehemiah doesn't pray like that. Nehemiah prays this way. He says, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and the loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Doesn't sound like he's blaming God, does it? Then he says, verse six, Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants. Then he says this, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Then he says this this phrase, I and my father's house have sinned. And we've learned that where you cast blame, you also pass responsibility. Responsibility. That taking responsibility gives you the ability to respond. And Nehemiah starts by taking personal and corporate responsibility for the state of his nation. He doesn't blame God. He doesn't blame the king who destroyed his very nation. He could easily point to that. but He knew exactly who did it. He didn't cast blame there. He took personal and corporate responsibility. And by doing so, he just gave himself the ability to respond. I can't miss this. Come on, church. We can't miss it. If we just simply want to abdicate responsibility to somebody else to fix it, if we just want to blame the government, we give them all the ability to respond. And then we wonder why we're disappointed. If we want to fix our nation, we got to do what Nehemiah did. If we want to fix our city, we got to do what Nehemiah did. We got to accept responsibility. And then he got specific about the, He didn't just say this. He got specific, and he says this. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Again, he's talking about the first five books, the, you know, the, the Ten Commandments and, and all the other rules that, that Moses wrote out for the Israelites to follow. And then he says, he starts quoting Moses, and he says, remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. And in verse nine he says, but if you return to me and keep my commandments, again, this is still quoting Moses, and do them if you return to me and keep my commandments, he didn't say, and believe them, he said, and do them. Then he goes, he says, if you do that, if you do them, then I will, through, uh, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote parts of heaven, I will gather them from there and will bring to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. And so what he does is he takes responsibility. And then he gets specific about the responsibility. And he says, it's not just good enough to believe the commandments. We actually have to, we haven't done them, God. You, you told us to do them. You haven't done them. And we know that those are the Old Testament commandments. But Jesus gave us as the church a commandment that trumps all of those commandments. That is Moses' commandments on on steroids. Really it is. And Jesus' commandment is love one another as I have loved you. And so here's what I'm saying as, as pastor of Parallel Church. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying as the church, I pastor and, 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 and the church have sinned. We have not done. We have, we have believed your commandments, God, but we have not loved others like you have loved us. We haven't loved our country like you have loved us. We haven't loved our city like you have loved us. And we got to take responsibility in saying, "Hey, we got to take that and saying if there's if something's going to fix it, it, our our nation and the state of our nation, the state of our city, the state of our world, we have to first acknowledge that we we haven't done that. We have believed them, but we have reduced Christianity to just a belief system where we believing right is all that matters, and we have not we have not done love." We have believed loved, we have accepted love, but we haven't done. I'm just talking about me. I haven't done. I haven't done love sometimes, but I haven't, I haven't said, no, God, in our country, it's easier for me to cast blame than it is to accept responsibility. I don't think that's just me. And in verse 10, Nehemiah says this. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. Man, I promise you, I don't know when this series is gonna end, but I promise you that eventually we're gonna get beyond one verse. (laughs) A week. But I got stuck on this verse again. and We're only one verse further than we got last time. I got stuck on this one again. Because I recognize something. In Nehemiah 1, I've always read Nehemiah 1 just as the prelim, as the setup, and maybe, I don't know, this time when I looked at it as a template, I was like, look what Nehemiah did. He accepted responsibility. And then the second thing he did is right here in this verse. They are your servants, your people, whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. And I got stuck here because this is what Nehemiah's doing. Nehemiah, is re, re-centering himself and those who are reading these words on their identity. They accept responsibility, but then they re, he refocuses their identity. And he says this, we are yours. Your people. What he's saying to every Jew that would have read this is saying, we're your chosen people. This is what God promised through Moses. We are your chosen people. We're your people. We're, we're yours. We're part of your kingdom. And it, it caught my attention where your servants and your people is very much kingdom language. Very much kingdom language. Because in order for a king to be king, he has to have subjects. or He's not a king of much. And, and kings... Have servants and kings have people, and he's saying we are your king. This is what Nehemiah is saying: your your king, and we are part of your kingdom. And here's here's what I what, what caught my attention in all this, and I was like, okay, how does this translate to us today? I think we need to accept responsibility that gives us the ability to respond. And secondly, I wonder if the state of our nation is because we as Christians have lost our identity. I'm wondering, I'm wondering, I, I know for me, when I started doing introspection on me, I'm going, I started wavering in my faith and my beliefs and all, all the rest of it throughout COVID and started questioning everything and all this and going, what, is, what do I really believe and what do I really anchor in? And, and some of that waftiness and some of those questions because, came because I was uncertain of our identity. We have lost our identity. We haven't fully understood our identity. We have reduced Christianity to a a religious order. And a place of worship as the church. And we have forgotten that this is a kingdom. That Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise again to start a religion. He died on the cross, rose again to redeem a kingdom. And look at, look at, look at, look at. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said the very thing to his disciples in response to them asking the question, tell us about the end, and tell us about the end of the age and what's going on. And Jesus' response, in his response, he said this in Matthew 25. He said, verse 34, he said, then the king will say the king, then the capital K, king, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the what? The kingdom prepared when? Prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus is saying, listen, listen, he says right here that he is a king Whose job was to redeem a kingdom prepared for you? Nehemiah says, "We are your people, your King Jesus. We are your people." He re-centered and re-anchored on the fact that wait, wait a wait a second. We're part of your kingdom, your people. They, they were not just Jews. They were not just another nation like every other nation's. They didn't, they weren't, you know, we, they had, they could name their king. They had the small K kings and all the rest of it. But Nehemiah says, we lost that. We got distracted in the traditions of everything else that went on. And we became like every other nation with a small K king. And Nehemiah comes back, no, no, no. We're not just serving a small K king who got killed probably in the invasion. And they felt like they lost their entire nation and going, no, no, no. We didn't lose our identity when we lost our city. Because we are yours. You are our king, and we are your kingdom. And whether the church gets, you know, we see all these things, we're not losing the church in our society, no matter which pastor falls or which church blows up or which thing goes on, because it's not about a tradition or small k kingdoms or castles. It's not about castles, it's about a kingdom. Big K king, big K kingdom. We can lose castles, but we don't lose the kingdom. That was prepared for us from the foundation of the world. Okay. Right from Genesis, Jesus creates the heavens and the earth. He creates Adam and Eve and all of that. And you go back and look, and he says to Adam and Eve, you take dominion over this property, earth. And Adam, as we all know, lost that. Adam and Eve did not lose a religion. They lost a kingdom. Jesus said, right here in Matthew, that he he redeemed that kingdom, and that he's going to say, that inheritance is going to say, that from the beginning, that, that's been prepared for us, and Jesus, when he died on the cross, he didn't redeem a religion, he redeemed a kingdom, and I, I need you to see this, because we need to understand, we got to take a responsibility, and going, who are we? This is, isn't that the next question? Who are we that we can save our nation I'm not in government. I don't have any authority. I don't, don't, don't Who are we that we could redeem? Who am I that I could, I could do anything about it? Okay, it's okay, Pastor Kelly, we can accept responsibility. That's all well and good, but who are we? Who am I that I could do anything about it? Let me tell you who you are. You're a king's kid. Let me tell you who you are. Come on. You're not just, you're not just a, a nobody. You were made for such a time as this. On purpose, for a purpose for such a time as this. That, you, that we are servants of the King of Kings. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. That we're not, we're not just part of, we're not just Christians, a part of a, a gathering. That we are part of something much larger, much bigger. We are a part of the Big K Kingdom. That He has prepared, that He is destined for us from the beginning of all time to do something about. Because look at what Jesus said. What's the territory? What are, how do we do? How, like, what are, okay, Pastor Kelly, what do we do? And the disciples would probably look at him and going, okay, you're king, yeah. Inherit the kingdom, sure. Right, that's all good, one day we get to do that. Jesus goes right from this first to the next one. Look, he says, he says this, is, this is what we do. For I was hungry. and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. You see, what we take responsibility and saying we have to, something to do because of who we are. And then Jesus comes back and says, you have dominion of the earth. That's been my design. Jesus died on the cross, rose again, so that you could get that design back, you had that authority back, and then he says to his disciples, okay, they're like, okay, great, so this is our kingdom. (laughs) We build castles, we set, what do we do? Just build castles, a.k.a. churches? Or do we redeem cities? How do we do that? Jesus is like, okay. Feed those who are hungry. He didn't give this to the Red Cross. He didn't give it to the government. He said, feed the hungry. Give water to the thirsty. And it's amazing. Look at Jesus. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, said this. And he lists six things, which are still the six greatest needs on planet Earth today. Food. Water, clothing, hospitality, health, justice. And he didn't give any of those to governments, to agencies, to anything else. He gave that to the church. And here's what I think. I think we've abdicated our responsibility. And we handed the feeding of the hungry to others. Because we lost our identity and we forgot. To, Wait a second. We're king's kids. Look, at the, Paul said this in case we d- didn't get this. Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, just to make sure who's part of the kingdom, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. So anybody in here that has, has accepted Jesus as Lord, this, he's talking to you. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old the, and a new creation has come, the old has gone. What does that mean? You had that identity, you got a new identity. Right? All this is from God. Who reconciled us? All this is from God. It doesn't mean that you're good enough and you deserved it. That you you were you got the, you know two gold stars and so therefore you get to be part of the kingdom. This is not about you. It's about Him. It's about the King, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry and gave us the ministry and gave us the ministry and gave us the and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Then he says this, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God doesn't even count your sins against you. And yet people are asking us as the church to do that. God doesn't even count people's sins against them. And yet people ask me as a pastor, you gotta tell people about their sin. God doesn't even do it. That's not our ministry. Our ministry, and he committed to us the message of reconciliation. And he doubles down on this message of reconciliation. And then he says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us. As though, as God were making His appeal through us, we are therefore Christ's ambassador. You know what an ambassador is? I, I looked it up because we have ambassadors today. Canada has ambassadors all over the world. I was like, "What's an ambassador?" It's interesting that Paul uses these, this terminology. Ambassador. Here's the definition of an ambassador. Look at this. Look at this. It says this: An ambassador is appointed by the king which Paul just said, didn't he? God chose you. Appointed by the king, not voted into position. (laughs) I can preach this way because I got a new revelation. My revelation is that my calling as a pastor isn't voted by you. Now you can vote. And leave. But that doesn't change my calling. But listen, listen. He's not just talking to pastors. So I'm saying don't wait for your ministry for someone to vote you in. Because it's not about people. We're not building castles. We're building a kingdom of the king. Appointed to represent the kingdom. Never speaks his personal position on any issue. Only his kingdom's official position (laughs) can only be recalled by the king. committed, this goes on, committed only to the kingdom's interest, embodies the kingdom, never becomes a citizen of the state or the kingdom which he has assigned. You're Christian first. You're a king's kid first. I'm a Canadian. I'm also an American. Don't hold that against me. But my passports aren't the real passport. Because I'm a citizen of the Big K kingdom first. Right? Then he says his goal is to influence the territory for his kingdom's government. What was Paul was saying? Goes on, it says totally covered by the kingdom. Well, how are we gonna afford that? Not our problem. It's the king's problem is the responsibility of the kingdom, which, look at this, totally protected by the kingdom, has access to all the kingdom's wealth for assignment. Which is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, isn't it? Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. The king is going to take care of you. He's telling this to his disciples, preparing them for the fact that they are going to be ambassadors for the king. This is the role of the ambassadors. Here's what I, this is, this, I'll wrap this up. This is what I, this is my revelation from, from Nehemiah. Nehemiah firstly took responsibility by giving himself the ability to respond and con- confess to the fact that he hadn't done his job and needed to take our job back. Second, Nehemiah realized in order to do to have the ability to do that, he'd need to re- re-anchor in his identity and realizing, wait a second, he, he could have been asking this question, who am I to rebuild Jerusalem? I'm just, I'm a cupbearer, I'm a servant, I'm a prisoner of war. Who am I? Before he worked up the courage to even ask the king, he had to, he had to anchor his identity. Who am I? And if you're asking yourself, who am I that I could do anything in Lethbridge? Who am I that I could do anything in whatever city you're watching from? Who am I that I could do something in Alberta? Who am I that I could do something in Canada? Let me tell you who you are. You are, you are an ambassador of the King, the B- capital K King of Kings. That he has given you that identity, not because you are good enough, but because he is good enough. Who are we? And if we get, I need mean, you got to get this. I'm not sure if I fully grasp this. I'm wrestling with this and I'm going every time because all the times doubt just comes and going, oh, well, I don't know who we could, while well, we could, and all this, who am I and what could I do? Da, da, da. We can keep our eyes on the task ahead of us or we could keep our eyes on the king. And when we get our eyes on the king, we realize who we are. And here's what I, here's today's takeaway. Here's what I realized from this is that purpose is driven by two things. Who am I and responsibility? What am I here for? If you wanna find what your purpose is, you gotta answer these questions. Who am I and what am I responsible for? Who am I and what am I responsible for? What was I made for? And until we get a handle on these two things, we will not discover our purpose in life. And Nehemiah did two things in chapter one. He accepted responsibility and redeemed his identity. And as a result, he discovered his purpose. And we as Christians and as the church need to be clear on our purpose, what our job is. We also need to accept responsibility and we need to be confident in our identity and I think, I think, I think just in, in the Western church that we've got washy and weird and, and like weird theologies and all this kind of weird stuff going on there because we've lost, we've lost our kingdom identity. And we don't know how to grasp kingdom in the Western world because we know democracy, but we don't know kingdom. But I, 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 you, we need to see, we need to understand kingdom. Kingdom. And when we see that, we realize not just who the king is, but we realize all hail King Jesus. We need to get anchored in King Jesus. And when we do that, we begin to see our identity as ambassadors. We are ambassadors of the capital K king, of the small k kings, on an assignment to reconcile people to God. And Jesus said, What do you do? Feed the hungry? Give water to the thirsty? Not wait for others, just do that. Remember in Matthew five when he said, now that I've put you there on a hilltop, as ambassadors, on a light stand, shine. How? Keep open house. It's kind of what ambassadors. you see the job, this is what ambassadors do. What do ambassadors do in nations? They keep open house. the entertained government officials of that nation representing their king and opening you know and and being generous on behalf of their kingdom and then he says by opening up your lives to others people are going to be prompted to open up their with god this generous father in heaven you see the weight of this Jesus says, we're his
1: representatives. Let's pray.
0: God, I thank you. Oh, King Jesus, thank you for this awesome responsibility to be your ambassadors. I don't, I, I, I don't know why you'd ever choose me. I we don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But God, I pray that we would represent you well. Forgive us when we haven't. When we've kept our light under the bucket. God, I pray this week that you give us eyes to see as you see and ears to hear as you hear and give us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it
1: in jesus name amen paul says in romans ten nine that if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead you will be saved so I want to run through a prayer with you right now that does exactly that and it's not joining the church or a church and not joining a religion it's simply a relationship with God so if you'd like close your eyes bow your head repeat after me here dear Jesus I confess that you are God and I believe that you rose again from the dead and I ask you now to become my Lord to become my Savior, to become my friend. I thank you that my past is past and that I can begin anew with you today. My heart is yours. In Jesus' name amen amen so guys if you prayed that prayer for the first time there is a link in the comment section click on that link fill out that form we'd love to just be a part of your journey this new decision that you made uh, and we'd love to just be able to help you out and be there for anything uh, that you would need uh, especially on this